0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Gear 30. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today we're talking to Blister reviewer Paul Forward about some of the powder skis he's been reviewing recently in both Alaska and Japan, including the Faction Prime 4.0, the Black Diamond Helio 116, And a favorite of Paul's, the DPS spoon. When he's not out skiing or writing ski reviews, Paul is out working as a lead heli guide for Chugach Powder Guides in Girdwood, Alaska, and he's also a family medicine boarded physician who works in rural Alaska doing emergency and hospital medicine. Not long ago, Paul and I recorded a conversation actually on the Blister podcast, Uh, it's episode 62 talking about backcountry safety and wilderness travel, so you should give that a listen if you haven't already. But today, Paul and I are just talking about powder skis. And then after talking to Paul, I have a conversation with Jeremy Cole, the owner of Alpine Sports in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is one of our blister-recommended shops. You can find our current list of blister-recommended shops on the navigation bar of our website, you know, where it says Recommended Shops, and you can check out Alpine Sports Online at, conveniently, www.alpinesportsonline.com. Jeremy and I cover three topics. First, the new gear he saw at outdoor retailers that has him most intrigued. Then he and I discussed current products that he thinks deliver the most bang for the buck or the most performance for the price. And Jeremy and I finished by talking a bit about all of the new bindings and boots and boot norms currently out there, and some of the things you should probably understand and consider before settling on a ski boot and ski binding combination. Before I talk to Paul and Jeremy, I want to remind you that we're going to be heading to Telluride soon for some gear testing, and we'd love to have you come join us. In terms of organizing some days to meet up, we're targeting three particular weekends, the weekends of February 24, March 10, and March 17. So if you want to come take some laps with us or meet up for an Opry drink, get out to Telluride on those weekends and we'll raise a glass or do a bit of skiing or both. We will put up soon on the website a post that will have the dates and some specific times and locations to meet up. And we do hope to see you in Telluride, where I believe it is currently snowing yet again as I record this. And now, let's get to my conversation with Blister reviewer Paul Forward. Paul Forward, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Jonathan, how are you tonight? <laughs> I'm, I'm great. Um, I uh, understand your heli-guiding season is back in the swing for you.
1: Yeah, we had a, a big preseason kind of this year, but our official... First day of
0: operations was today. Was today? Okay. Wow. Well, you know, uh, welcome officially back or something. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> and uh, we've got it. We're going to keep this brief because you've got to get up early and uh, you're you're guiding tomorrow, right? That's true. Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, well, in other news, if if your life didn't sound amazing enough already. Um, you recently were in Japan where you, I remember getting the text from you where you said, I think I've just had two of the deepest pow days of my life. <laughs> yeah, the last couple of days were pretty good. And then I thought, this guy's a heli guide in Alaska. So that, that's, that's saying something, that's saying something, I think.
1: Yeah, it snowed pretty hard the last couple of days we were there. It was, it was impressive.
0: Where um, did you bounce around a ton, or did you stay in
1: a couple areas? Yeah, kind of the yeah, we just went a couple places. It was a pretty short trip. We just kind of bounced around a few places on the main island on Honshu.:
0: Yep. Okay. Uh, you took two skis with you. What two did you take I took the DPS spoon uh-huh. with uh,
1: Dinafit binding on it, uh-huh. uh, just a radical uh, 2.0. Oh, sorry, not a 2.0, original radical binding. And I took a, um, the Faction Prime 4.0. Okay. In a 185 centimeter length.
0: Okay. Um, I feel like we should, I should let you talk for like 60 seconds or something about the spoon. Uh, I, I just asked you about this earlier whether DPS is even still making the spoon or if they're doing it in a very limited run. I, I don't know the answer. I don't know
1: the official DPS answer. I, I know that it's not on their website anymore. Yeah. You can't just go on dpsgees.com and click on the spoon anymore and order it. I don't know what their availability is if someone really wanted them or if they're going to make a reappearance for a Powderworks edition or something like that. I really don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, but the spoon, I, I think you. I think you might be the world's biggest spoon fan. Uh, (laughs) and it sounds like you were in the right conditions for it.
1: Oh, you know, I, I don't know if I, I think there's probably a lot of people who, if they've skied them once in the, in the appropriate spoon conditions are probably all equally big fans of it. It's a, it's a pretty cool sensation to ski those things in bottomless powder and even, even a little less than bottomless, but really you don't want to be feeling anything firm. Yeah. In ideally with those, I mean, they, they manage, they get down through a little bit of cut up snow but they're definitely doing what they're meant to do when they're in untouched deep snow for sure
0: yeah and what's the there's something like what is it 148 underfoot yeah
1: yeah exactly they're 148 i haven't actually measured my pair to see if they're exactly 148 but yeah, yeah they're in that 148 150 realm yeah and then like the front third of the ski has that you know, probably centimeter and a half uh, th- area um, of full convexity where, like, the flat base goes to, uh, like, a boat hull, you know, kind of planes up on the yeah. sides. So you don't really have any effective edge more than about, mm, I have, I'd guess about 20 or 30 centimeters in front of your boot. That's the end of par- <laughs> a firm snow edging. <laughs> you pretty much got to rely on the middle to back of the ski
0: when you're on anything firm. Yeah yeah well, interesting. Uh, well, to transition to what we're really supposed to be talking about then uh a couple other fat skis though certainly nowhere near that fat. Um, you've been you had in Japan with you the faction prime 4.0 and you've also been getting some time on the black Diamond Helio 116.
1: Yeah, and and not to throw a curveball in there, and we'll get into this in the in the reviews later. But I've also skied quite a bit this season. The uh, DPS Tour One One Twenty Four, mm-hmm. as well as the previous review, and I continue to ski on a somewhat regular basis. The Volkl BMT One Twenty Two, and I also have a pair of one ninety centimeter Bibby Tours. So a pretty good rep, and I still have those head core 117s, which I think, you know, it's another conversation, but I think those kind of fit in there also in a a strange way.
0: Well, it means that I'm going to definitely be badgering you for like a deep dive update on on, on all of this stuff. Um, For sure. Damn, dude. You've, yeah. If uh, people might start hating you. this like (laughs) (laughs) Come up
1: to Alaska, come heli skiing with me, and you can borrow any of those skis you want. There you go. That's an offer.
0: We haven't really talked you and I about the the Prime the Faction Prime 4.0 uh, or or this Black Diamond Helio 116. So, let's start with the Faction Prime 4.0. How how did it work out in Japan? What would you what you find?
1: Uh well, I so first of all, just backing up slightly, I I remounted this ski before I even went to Japan after one day of of ski and powder, and a couple resort laps at Alieska, um mounted just ahead of what they call the all mountain marks, which put me probably at around, um, I believe, around minus twelve. Um, and then when I when I went to Japan, I had already moved it forward to around minus ten, mm-hmm. and um, and I had a variety of conditions over there, from kind of scratchy dust on crust and some icy groomers, and then to you know quite deep powder skiing. And uh, overall, it was, uh, you know, for its width, a pretty versatile touring ski for its width, width and waist. Um, there's nothing about it that just like jumps out as like th- this ski does this one thing better than any other ski I can think of. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, it like, seemed like it, you know, it floated okay in pow, it handled the chop pretty well for a ski that light. It, uh, didn't carve particularly well on groomers especially at that mount point that I had on it over there but um but you know it wasn't like the quickest ski ever but it also didn't feel sluggish it's certainly not heavy so it's you know pretty low swing weight um, kind of middle of the road I'd give it kind of middle marks in like every category for a uh, you know overall for a ski of that width I would say
0: mm-hmm and yeah, I think that was actually one of the things that was most surprising to us was the mount points, right? And we talked about this in the first look we did on the ski that that's yep. all mountain. It, the, there's a line for all mountain line, the all mountain line on the ski at minus 13.1, super yep. traditional. And then the quote unquote Candide line, which is also crazy traditional, especially calling it the Candide line at minus 9.1. So, yep. yeah. So and, you, you were... know,
1: I, I, this, is a whole, this is a whole conversation itself, and I'll try to keep this brief, but the, the gist of this is that I was kind of – there are certain skis like that DPS, the new Alchemist 112, where the recommended mount seems crazy far back, but it works because that's how the ski was designed to work. And uh, I thought, well, you know, who am I to tell – action where their ski should be mounted i thought it looks real far back at all mountains so i went a little ahead of that that felt way too far back so i went forward a couple centimeters that still feels pretty far back to me and i'm like you know fairly you know fairly directional skier yeah and i'm currently a hair in front of what they call candide so i'm currently a little in front of that minus nine mark and i i think i'm getting zooming zeroing in on the sweet spot but I, Based on the other day up here, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if I liked it even better further forward. I don't think I'm going to remount them again, but I mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprised if I wouldn't mind a, a hair in front of that. Honestly,
0: <clears throat> that's interesting. So, if there's a takeaway, it sounds like you're pretty much ready to say like nobody should think about mount- mounting this ski. Like, if if anything, start at the Candide line. Don't think about going further behind it
1: if you're you know if somebody really 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 likes to push on the tips of their skis all the time and wants as much wants a lot of float especially and i can only speak to the 185 and you know i'm kind of on the i'm kind of in the middle i think i, think I could have easily gone either way like if i had bought those or brought those skis just for alaska skiing i think i would have probably been inclined to maybe go 194 yeah but um for the 185 for like a bigger guy who wants to ski them and really likes to you know sink into their ankles and pressure the tongues of the boots. I think, like, one back from Candide would be fine. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, some guys might like it slightly further back. But I I would definitely encourage people to err on the side of Candide or forward. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Should we switch? Helio sixteen. Yeah.
1: yeah, So, I mean, so basically, uh, you know, I got home. I skied a couple days of uh, ski touring in the turning and pass on the uh, factions, and then swapped over. And I've all my touring days up until um, when we just started our heli training a couple days ago have been on uh, that uh, Black Diamond Helios 116 in the 186 length. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, from the very first run in, in powder on those things, it immediately felt much more like a powder ski you know even though it's a little skinnier in the waist it's got a bigger tip it's got more tip taper it's a little swallow tailed compared to the faction and you know and the flex while flex feels similar the tips definitely want to get up a little quicker than the Mm -hmm. faction in deep snow it just immediately felt much looser much 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 more flotation um just easier to ski in pow and definitely was much easier to Kind of let them slash out and go sideways, um, hmm. whereas the that faction um, kind of likes to, you know, it seems like it's kind of telling you like go fast and ride, you know, ride the edge of the ski or you know carve the ski, which is hmm. fine, is which is also really fun. It just wasn't as easy to break those factions free in, in deeper pow, uh, or or I should say in like a bigger, bigger, more open terrain where that's more of a thing that you want to do a lot. Hmm. Um, yeah, not to say the factions aren't quick, and you can't scrub speed and ski quick in the trees when the skis are kind of under under the snow. But on that, like, kind of Alaskan style, like go fast, plane up high on your skis, and then throw them sideways. Sometimes the factions were a little more resistant to that than the, or I'd say, quite a bit more resistant to that than were the uh,
0: the black diamonds. Hmm. it's really interesting. I'm while you're talking, I'm looking at the our measured specs on both of those skis. Mm-hmm. And, man, there's a lot of similarity. The, the, I know it. The, the biggest difference, I mean, one, I mean, the mount point on the Helio 116 is 9.2. <laughs> so yep. identical, basically, to the Candide line on the Prime 4.0. But then yep. the biggest difference is the weight difference.
1: Yep. Yeah, and that's noticeable too, especially I did take the, just kind of to, to be thorough on this kind of first look, I did take the Helios for a couple inbounds laps at Alieska too, mm-hmm. and uh, it's definitely, you know, it's, it, they do fine on groomers, I mean, neither one of those skis obviously is, is a great groomer ski, but um, they do fine there, but they definitely are get pinged around more than the than the factions, I mean, they feel like a lighter ski, that's definitely not what they're designed to do. Um, but I, I think that the, the shape-wise, a lot of what gives those skis the, the different characteristics in powder is probably the tip taper, and uh, and the flex feels different when you actually have them on your feet. Like, it feels, even though flexing with my hands, and this is hard to explain, flexing with my hands, they feel relatively similar, but it feels like it's so much easier to bend that Helios when you're actually skiing it, to bend it, you know... To bend the camber out of that ski than it is the dictate, the prime seems like it pushes back on you a little more.
0: Hmm. Pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, we're and we're talking to those Helio 116s in a 186 yep. com- come in at basically 16. F- well, six, we had 1654 grams and 1682. Yeah, and so f- light, so light. Um, and those primes. Uh, let's see those are coming in at 1862 and 1873 so still light but not stupid helio 116 light so yeah um, yeah interesting and doesn't it doesn't sound like you've had those helio 116 in like tricky conditions yet
1: no i mean we pretty much like up here right now it's like dry light pow everywhere i i did ski them um i skied a fairly big sluffy line um the last day I got to ski before training started where I was like in, in some exposure I had a lot of slough moving I was on some steep terrain and um and they were fine you know like even there was a section where my friends had skied um an adjacent line and where we got kind of funneled so I was kind of skiing some some deep kind of sluffy steep tracks and even kind of hitting their ruts um, you know, they, they were composed I felt pretty comfortable I definitely didn't open it up like I would maybe on a ski that I I, was, I, I knew better but um, I, that's the for overall Alaskan backcountry skiing right now is like light cold dry pow I mean it's like spins like zero fahrenheit most of the week it's like cold 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 light pow up here hmm. right now <laughs> sounds horrible It's yeah it's, it's pretty good here right now honestly <laughs>
0: pretty freaking good oh man Uh, okay one of these days well dude um one it sounds like you've been getting some good skiing in which is awesome to hear and uh yeah I, i appreciate the the beta on these skis um what do you what else uh i i gotta let you go to go to bed so you can get up early and go go guide but did we cover it anything else
1: uh no that's it I mean I'm I'm excited to talk about these skis especially in comparison to the other light pow touring skis this is something I mean this is these skis are like the kind of skis I've been so interested in for so long yeah and we, and wishing companies would make these kind of like sixteen to nineteen hundred ish gram tour, skis that do well in pow because I you know personally I think there's a lot and you and I have talked about this ad infinitum there's like tons of benefit to heavy and differently constructed skis for inbounds and in variable conditions, but for <laughs> untracked backcountry powder skiing, you know, light skis are your friend when you're doing human powered skiing. Yeah. There's not a lot of downside to it, and yeah. um, as long as they hold up yeah. uh, to to the you know rigors of hard skiing, uh, I think there's n- not a ton of downside to going for these lighter skis for for backcountry for human powered backcountry skiing. Hmm. Need wider widths anyway.
0: Yeah, and I mean you—you're getting. It does seem like you're getting more and more options and interesting options these days. So it's yeah, all, it's all coming yep. up aces for you, Paul. Forward.
1: <laughs> things are <laughs> things are looking good, and you know the bindings are get, are interesting, and then of course the you know the boots, especially the boots that you guys were looking at at SIA this year, just keep getting better. And so, you know, yeah, times are good for backcountry powder skiers, human powered backcountry powder skiers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, dude. Well, hey, listen, good to talk. And um, yeah, thanks for doing this. And um, yeah, I'm going to let you go. And uh, but I'm sure we're going to be talking again real soon.
1: Yeah, for sure, Jonathan. Thank you so much.
0: Have a wonderful night. We'll, We'll talk real soon. Okay, thanks, man. Okay. Now we're going to talk to Jeremy Cole, the owner of the blister recommended shop Alpine sports about some new gear, some very good price point products, and then the crazy world of boots, bindings, and bench test results. Uh, so here it is my conversation with Jeremy Cole, but Jeremy, it's good to be talking with you. And and we kind of wanted to get together in part, just to do a debrief Mm -hmm. after, after SIA. And, uh, So I want to get your thoughts on that, but let's start with, give, give me a little bit about your background. You, you've got a big shop background. Tell us about that.
2: Uh, grew up in the Northwest, um, little bit of racing, not very good. Um, worked at a shop called us outdoor store for many, many years doing, uh, hard goods buying for camping, climbing, backcountry ski, uh, specialized certainly in custom boot fitting, um just a passion of mine is just making sure people have the right experience on the hill um, and comfortable feet. Uh, Took that further. uh, Ran a purchasing team for a large online company, uh, traveling around to all the trade shows and doing large volume. Uh, Wasn't the personal touch that I wanted. My wife and I looked for a new adventure and we looked at buying Alpine Sports. Mm -hmm. Cool. So let's let's go ahead and debrief. Um, I, I actually
0: we bumped into each other at SIA and barely had a chance to wave at each yep. other and kind of kept on going. So I'm always very interested to hear, you know, we, we do our thing at Blister and, and go put out these reviews, but I think it's super interesting to look at all of this new gear through the eyes of a shop owner and somebody who's not just like, ooh, that's glittery and shiny. But yeah, like,
2: I have to look how it you know actually looks on a sales floor. and
0: Yeah, and how many... Units you can sell of a product right and all that all that stuff. So given that I'm curious um, as a shop owner Talk to me about I don't know one or two of the three things that stood out to you back in Denver
2: Uh, For me, obviously, there's a lot of buzz on the shift binding Uh, Solomon and Atomics new AT Alpine binding answers a lot of questions There's still a good handful of unanswered questions uh, the DIN's really high. It's not fitting for potentially the the lighter weight users. Um, and so that, I'm going to
0: pause on that because that's something that I hadn't even thought of. And this is a good example of why true. when talking to a shop owner, I remember when you first said that to me and I was like, what are you talking about? And you it said, it starts at six. It's a and, DIN setting that starts at six.
2: And that's not a problem for you or I, and maybe some of your female testers, but the majority of my female customers are probably going to be between that four and six. Yeah. Um, and you know, a, a good chunk of bindings will also have correction factors that might be up or down and that will, you know, leave us no room, uh, with that binding. Uh, we'll love it for a lot of guys. Uh, it, it certainly answers my question of wanting to make sure the customer has the best experience on the hill, knowing full well that they may never go uphill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, like liked that idea a lot and I see a great deal of potential as it evolves The tweaks that Solomon and Atomic has made to their plastics for their custom shell molding, Um, going from a 10-minute heat process to a 2-minute heat process, Uh, going through it myself and actually skiing a boot, and I actually took the boot home. I liked it so much. Time matters a lot. You know, we tell most of our customers uh, beforehand in qualifying them that boot fitting takes two hours. You know, that can shock some customers, and anything we can do to make that... Quicker, without you know having an issue with the customer's experience and the end result. I'm a shop owner. Obviously, I want to get more customers through the door.
0: Yeah. Um. and and not take up people's time more time than you need to. Yeah. I
2: mean, we we almost I've never had a customer be angry with it. I've had customers be shocked with how long they've been here. Yeah. But they've always left happy. That's that is the key for us, and that's what we tell them is that we're not done until they tell us. Both feet in both boots going, this is comfortable, I could ski in this for eight hours. Yeah. That is a regular statement we'll make. Um, anything that makes my job easier or my boot fitter's job easier, I like. Um, the custom shells are definitely a, a nice improvement. Um, they're also lighter weight. And, you know, I know you guys have made comments on everything trending and lighter weight. And on my end, it's certainly something that customers will pick up a boot and go, wow, that's light. And that makes my job a lot easier because it's enough of a difference from their old boots. They will consider it just because it's lighter weight. Uh, Here in Santa Fe, we do have a slightly older clientele. Um, They definitely would like lighter weight equipment, Mm -hmm. be it skis, boots, or bindings. Yeah. On the skis for me, as I evaluate skis, I definitely have to look at the aesthetic value. Um, I, don't like buying any ski that i haven't ridden be it men's or women's so ultimately we we do look to make our final decisions after testing but i have to evaluate right up front is that ski something that will look good on my wall and be attracted i think that's awesome to hear because again that
0: i mean we have you know i think there's sort of a cool kids thing it's like ah, don't care what that graphic looks like and yet i think there's there's there are enough good skis out there these days that it all matters. Sure. It all matters. And I think to, to, for us to just say like, yep, putting some time and thought and attention and getting somebody with a decent eye mm-hmm. for Christ's sake, like some of these skis that get rolled out, you're just like, that's the most uninspired looking thing I've ever seen. Yep. And so for you to say that matters, because again, like if, if I've got to make the decision of, am I going to carry that line or not? So the, the looks do matter.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, I would definitely have to say that it matters more to the female customers than it does the male. Um, but on both sides, we will have issues, um, where the ski that we're recommending, you know, they, they just can't do that graphic, be it male or female. So
0: transitioning from some of the new stuff we saw in Denver, I want to ask you, cause this is another thing that you and I talk about from time to time is, um, and you frankly, you know, I think correctly nudged us like, Hey, I'd like to see you guys doing more kind of price point product coverage or kind
2: of bang for your buck mm-hmm. products. And I think that's totally fair. And so there's some self-interest in that for me right. as well, just because I love using blister as a resource with customers and, uh, the higher end $700 and above skis, you know, I, I have those customers and they come through and I you know love being able to tell them, yeah, if you know if you want to take a look at blister reviews, they're a unique, you know, non, you know, biased review that has nothing to do with a marketing budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but my moderate customers don't get to have that same benefit. Looking at two to five well, excuse me, three to five hundred dollar price point boots, uh four to five hundred dollar price point skis. Um there's not much out there for any reviewer you know, Mm -hmm. out there, be it online, uh, publication, what have you. And they're still the vast majority of our buying public. Yep. So, yes.
0: And so completely fair point. And, and, uh, this is something that we, we want to be paying more attention to, uh, in the, in the work we're doing. So, but I want to hear your kind of suggestions or recommendations right now. Let's start with boots.
2: Big fan of Nordica. I think they have a very complete moderate line. Uh, speed machines from the 90, the 110 are phenomenal values to the customer at you know, $300 and $500 respectively. Uh, puts them underpriced compared to most of the competitors. And as a boot fitter, I'm still okay with the boots. They're not coffins. They're not 102, 104, you know, with boots when you say coffin just for the record you mean just enormous big volume boots which is what you would normally sell mass market you know more entry-level skiers because it's easy you know they're going to have that out-of-box comfort fit that any good boot fitter knows is not going to help them long term Mm -hmm. um the speed machines have a nice anatomical comfort fit it's still a little big but uh it's still shaped correctly it has you know Articulation, it flexes correctly at the ankle, uh it's you know a medium cushioned liner, so there is a little bit more plushness to it. The 110 uh a little bit more performance to the liner as well. It's just good all the way around. Uh other brands do the same price points. I just tend to like the finished product better in Nordica. I, I think it looks richer. Hmm. Um Solomon also makes those price points and they make good boots as well. Um but Nordica is one that we definitely have a great deal of success with. Uh, training new boot fitters. They will grab a hold of the Nordica Speed Machine line across the board from even the lower to the high end, 90 to 130. And that will be the first boots that they're really comfortable selling because they have a lot of success and it builds confidence. You know, I, I want them to be making sure the customer is having the right experience. But it, it goes without saying when you're you know learning you know, from the ground up as a boot fitter. That having that success where the customer is very comfortable and you're selling that boot, you feel good. Yeah. The uh, the boots are more comfortable and they learn. Uh, they're easy to work on. So as you're doing more press work and whatnot, that plastic is easy to work on, and it looks clean.
0: Okay. So let's go to skis. In the you said, what did you say was kind of the price range?
2: I would normally say four to five hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to find a good performing. Ski under $400 for an adult. You know, for, for me, uh, sending my wife out, who's a little bit more of an entry-level novice, you know, skier, um, and also a woman, obviously, the Liberty Genesis 90 was a ski she got on. It gave her uh, more than enough width. She could go a hair skinnier, um, but... She was comfortable. She didn't feel like she was catching an edge, yet she was able to push the turns around. And, you know, after a couple runs, she was actually paralleling again on that ski. And for a novice skier to get on a ski cold and then suddenly feel very comfortable on it, that's the experience you want. Um, Not too stiff.
0: You want to hear something interesting? Hmm. Sasha Anastas, our reviewer who was on the previous Gear 30 podcast, she just called me yesterday to say that she was skiing the liberty genesis 90 Mm -hmm. and loved it yep and she's a former college racer yep so that is when you're starting to when you can play that range of skiers when you're
2: playing that four to five hundred dollar ski and you can put anyone on it obviously for me as a retailer it's a win-win
0: yeah are there
2: any other specific particular skis or lines of skis where you're like i think there's a ton of bang for your buck here Solomon QST-85s and Myriads 85s, I think those, you know, play well. Uh, Those are a little bit stiffer in the tail. Um, They're not going to have as much of the tail rocker. Um, And they're a little bit skinnier, but they perform really well. They're very stable skis as well.
0: Okay, let's get to our last topic. And this is the kind of big can of worms topic that you and I have... um, we've been talking also about over the course, especially this season, um, a bit last year, but we've been just talking about this more and more. And the intention here is not to settle this uh, question by any means, but frankly, just to raise it as a question. And uh, what we've been seeing is, and the question here is on bindings and and bench tests, and we've got all of these new different norms, and we have tech bindings, and now we have... Hybrid bindings like in a, a Solomon Atomic Shift, and we've got frame bindings and we've got tectons and marker kingpins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And as somebody who spends a lot of time bench testing these things, looking at the consistency of release, right? Um, like we said, there's a bit of a can of worms here, and something that I think a lot of people don't consider. And I want to have you talk a little bit about this. What what's the issue? What's the thing that maybe some people don't know, uh, and is something that should be on their that, that should be brought to their attention?
2: Um, we'll start off with saying that I'm opinionated to a fault at times, and this particular subject can be very opinionated. Um, you have bindings, you have boots, and they are part of the same equation, and they matter just as much. So as we start creating standards for bindings, and bindings are being tested to those standards. They're tested with one standard of boot. Unfortunately, in the market right now, we have a lot of different standards that are being paired together. Um, as a shop owner, somebody has to worry about liabilities. Uh, my guys are all instructed right now to fail every tech system out there. But they're also trained to give an explanation of why, and we will physically test them on an automated Wintersteiger test machine. Um, but just due to the fact that it is a wild West, that, that binding does pass a release value test, but was it tested with that specific boot? Is the boot lug going to catch? Does it have too much rocker? Is it slightly too wide because of the rubber sole? Uh, where did they place the physical tech fitting in the toe further back, further forward? All of these can drastically affect the bindings, original values. Yeah. Um, we test everything. Period. We don't touch a single binding that doesn't go through the automated machine. Um, we we want to be away from it, so we have at least a standard benchmark for ourselves as a shop. Um, those machines are tested and calibrated every year, as you know required. The boots are getting better as we standardize grip walk. Marker's the winner. Um, You know, Solomon had their own, Marker had their own, Tyrolia played with their own and then partnered up, but obviously GripWalk is the winner. Uh, GripWalk does not have much of a change compared to the traditional ISO norm. It doesn't require most of the bindings to be actually physically adjusted. We don't actually have to play with toe height. All the new bindings coming out that are standard and GripWalk compatible just step in. It, the, the ramp angle for the toe isn't changing that much as it did in like a walk-to-ride solomon there was enough ramp angle change you would have to physically change the toe hike um, the boots as we standardize into grip walk should make it more consistent uh, there's still an issue though when you're dealing with the more traditional backcountry boot brands or older you know, touring boots that have a more traditional hiking sole they probably will never release hundred percent correctly in any of those systems. Hmm. Um, they're getting caught um, You know, we did a lot of work with tectons this year uh, from Fritchie and uh, Definitely was looking forward to a releasing toe binding um, The tolerances are pretty tight on that. It doesn't like every boot mm-hmm. um, If we've had to fail it and it actually failed the test it was typically because it was getting caught in the toe piece wasn't a fault of the binding. Binding was functioning correctly. It was just getting caught on the boot. Yeah. Um, If you were testing on a boot that was a GripWalk compatible tech fit, uh, Roxa, uh, you know, an R3-130 or something, or a Coaches. those never had a problem. I never actually had a failure with any of those. Hmm. Um, So hopefully with GripWalk being the clear winner, and we'll see more of it, um, but I don't know where that leaves the true backcountry equipment.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess the, I guess the, to just summarize some of that, it's just I think that we all, you know, consumers need to understand that you can sit there and pour over the specs and the certifications of this binding versus that binding. But to understand there's a whole nother equally important element of your boot. And, and what if your boot, you know, what if you hike over rock a ton and you've worn down that sole in big ways and, um, those are just some other variables that I, I don't think they get talked about. It makes it sure. it's a difficult. We like things to be kind of, yeah. you know, A plus B, were cool. And it's like, well.
2: Well, and the funny part about that, if you were talking a traditional tech fit and you're talking where, it actually shouldn't matter. Uh-huh. The, the original traditional tech fit, you know, when the, uh, the wings for the toe piece are open, you had lots of room and it's suspended both toe and heel. Mm -hmm. It actually isn't hitting anything versus an Alpine where we have to do visual inspections to the toe and heel that it has to fall within a certain range or we fail it Mm -hmm. because it is going to have a release issue. A traditional tech fit wasn't supposed to. But as we're trying to make these tech fit bindings that don't have travel release more consistently and not come out when you don't want them to. Yeah. Tolerances are suddenly having to be brought in, you know, um, a kingpin toe is got more you know clearance when you look at a vipec or a tekton toe it's a lot tighter fit interface to the toe and you know if you have a, a lug on a certain boot brand that you know is more rockered and potentially is going to get caught yeah. and suddenly that toe is not going to release as smoothly um you know correction factors can occur that might help but you know as a shop, we were limited, especially on new bindings, how far we can go with correction factors. Yeah, and real world, you don't want them. Yeah,
0: and this this is where you start to come back around and think, man, it's pretty nice to have like a plastic sold boot for inbound skiing with like a straight up dedicated alpine binding and just simplify this a bit. And uh, you know, I mean, again, I think. I'm not telling, I'm not here to tell people that that's what they ought to be doing. I'm just here. If you're
2: not going to go uphill, don't get an uphill binding. That's not a feature you want. You're always going to get better performance and better safety, at least in my opinion, from a binding and a boot that was meant to go one direction over the other. Mm -hmm. Um, When you do both, you've got to make some sacrifices somewhere.
0: Mm -hmm. It is just, I think worth um, putting again on the radar of some people Uh, not everything is always as simple. The world isn't always as simple as we might like it to be. And, uh, you know, so that, so there's that, but, um, let's, let's leave it at that. Um, but, uh, because we both should probably, uh, get back and on to other things. Um, but it's great talking to you about it. It's always fun uh, to go over some of this gears stuff with you and, uh, yeah, um, appreciate all the work that you guys have done with us and look forward to the the good dialogue that uh, we've been having for several years now.
2: Thank you. I appreciate uh, all the feedback you give me and uh, the help you give me in finding out what the latest and greatest is because there's a lot of product out there and I'll never have all the time to ski it. Mm -hmm. Well, good. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. That's
0: it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Paul Forward and Jeremy Cole for the conversations. And if you want to go ski with Paul in Alaska and borrow some of those skis he was mentioning, you can find him at Chugach Powder Guides in Girdwood AK. And if you'd like to check out Jeremy's shop, Alpine Sports, you can go to alpinesportsonline.com, where I know he's still got some cool skis in stock because I was just in there again last night. Uh, And then you should definitely come grab a couple laps or a drink with us in Telluride on the weekends of February twenty-four, March ten, and or March 17th. We're going to be around for all those dates. Uh, It's snowing in Telluride right now. Come join us. Uh, As always, of course, we want to say thanks to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, and on our next episode, which we're going to be dropping in just a couple of days... I'm going to be talking with Luke Jacobson, the CEO of Moment Skis, about Moments' new 1819 lineup. So subscribe to Gear 30 in iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts so that you'll have that conversation with Luke and me as soon as it drops. All right then, I will talk to you guys later. Take care.